0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Hey, before we get started with today's podcast episode on email marketing, I wanna ask you, are you looking for professional development? Are you looking to take your marketing know-how to the next level, but you're not sure where to go to get really awesome in-depth training? Well, then I want you to consider our Social Media Marketing Society. When you join, you get access to more than 140 in-depth marketing workshops, live ongoing monthly training with amazing marketers who know how to empower you to do the latest and greatest in marketing with social media. And of course, support from a welcoming community of marketers. If you're looking for that place to learn and connect with amazing people, then the Social Media Marketing Society is your place. Visit smmarketingsociety.com. Again, (laughs) smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. Now, today we're gonna go a little off topic. We're gonna go broader than just social media. We're gonna talk about email marketing strategy, and I'm gonna be joined by Jenna Tiffany. By the way, if you want to reach me on Instagram, I'm at Stelzner, and if you're on Clubhouse, be sure to follow the Social Media Examiner Club for great content that is live every single weekend. Every Saturday, either at 7 a.m. Pacific or 9 a.m. Pacific, I am live on Clubhouse. Best way to find us is to follow the Social Media Examiner Club. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to hit the follow button now. We used to say subscribe, but now we say follow because that's the new trend. So you don't miss out on our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Jenna Tiffany. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jenna Tiffany. If you don't know who Jenna is, you need to know who she is. She is an email marketing strategist. She's the founder of Let's Talk Strategy, an agency that helps businesses optimize their marketing. She also authored the book, Marketing Strategy, Overcoming Common Pitfalls and Creating Effective Marketing. Jenna, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited.
0: I'm really excited to get on the rabbit trail of email marketing. And so many of the people listening might be like, this is the social media marketing show. What are you talking about email marketing for? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I will say at a high level, I feel like smart marketers need to own the platforms that they operate on in an ideal world. And that's why I want to spend some time talking about email. So Jenna, before we go there, I would love to hear your story. How the heck did you get into email? Start wherever you want to start.
1: Sure. So when I graduated from university, I don't think you kind of leave uni and think I'm going to be an email marketer. I'm not sure that ever crosses any email marketer's mind. Actually, right. I was having this discussion a couple of weeks ago and I was fortunate enough to get a job straight away when I left university But and I joined a, an architectural eye mongers, which is pretty random really but it was a great experience because i was the only marketer they'd never conducted any marketing before so i was responsible for everything including direct mail the website and at the time it was when websites were in their real infancy and email wasn't really wasn't really a tactic or a channel at the time that was something that was talked about and then i joined a wholesalers company where they sold cake decorations they made and sold these cake decorations to lots of different supermarkets but also globally as well and they had a fascinating operation where they accepted all of their orders via fax which now if you wow. think back to that <laughs> yeah, it's crazy I know. I
0: know who even <laughs> has those things anymore right
1: <laughs> I know and this wasn't that long ago honestly so that whole operation was really crazy but I joined the company as their marketing expert and effectively before it was even a term then then I helped them bring in automation did a full really a full kind of company transformation with technology to not only optimize their website so they could sell online and that was my predominant role but Actually, a lot had to change within the company to make that happen. And it was a really great project to work on to not only get into the nitty gritty of technology, and this is obviously quite broad across the whole company, but also to liaise and talk with and negotiate with different stakeholders and manage all of that as well and come up against some quite... You know, negative opinions that it was going to take away people's jobs. And it was just a very, very interesting project Mm. that I worked on there. Um, And they had over 2000 different products. None of them had an image, none of them had a web friendly product name. It was really starting from scratch. It was really fascinating. And then I joined a financial company right at the start of the financial crisis, which was really fun. The one in 2008
0: in particular? Is that the one you were? Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. Just before that, just before that started, and I was the last, they classed my recruitment stage as a graduate recruitment. I was still only two, three years out of university at this stage. And I joined the website team. And that was like my first kind of hands-on, purely digital role. And I was with a really great team there. And there was lots of um, paid advertising support. There was lots of social media support as that was ramping up at the time. But there was never really any much discussion on email. It was just kind of this thing sat in the corner. And it started to pique my interest a little bit. And I thought, well, why is why nobody nobody talking about this channel? when it it was really delivering some really great engagement and ROI stats for the financial company. And I, unfortunately, things that naturally didn't work out because of the financial crisis, and I joined a travel company. And there I was responsible for all of the digital marketing globally across um, seven different countries and territories. And email started to play a part there. And it always sticks into my mind this meeting that I had with the director and the rest of the marketing team where we were talking about budgets and how much um, budget was going to be allocated to PPC, which was a huge amount um, of the budget, a huge percentage of the budget.
0: That's mostly Google ads back then, right? Pay-per-click, is that what you're referring to?
1: Yeah, exactly. So mostly um, Google ads, not so much paid social at that stage. And email was outperforming. PPC by a huge amount, and yet there was no budget going towards email, very, very little amount of budget. And the director used to always say, Can we just get an email out because it delivers? Yeah, there was no budget assigned to it. And I always found that really fascinating, it always sticks in my mind. And it was from there that I thought, Do you know what? I've got a real interest in this. There's a lot more opportunities that businesses could get from using email if they used it effectively and gave it. The budgets that it deserved. And I then joined an email software platform, an ESP. And that's what got me into email. I entered, I became their spokesperson. I I was presenting about email within six weeks of joining the company. I was really kind of just thrown right in, which I really appreciate because it really helped me to hit the ground running, but also to meet so many fascinating email geeks and speak to. So many different companies as I was providing strategies for lots of different organizations. I'm really showcasing email for all what it can help to achieve a business. And that was my way into email. So I was there for for a couple of years. And then I started my own agency.
0: And what year was that?
1: That was three years ago now. I started my company.
0: And what do you do today? Tell us about what kinds of things your company does.
1: Yeah. So we we work with a real range of clients We don't, there isn't a particular industry that we purely focus on just because the team, the team and I have such broad uh, experience across lots of different industries. We work with, you know, companies providing either just a one-off strategy service for email, or it could just be marketing strategy overall, or we provide full service for email marketing we're the outsourced company effectively for sending email campaigns on a weekly and monthly basis. And then we also work with other clients where we're the full service marketing agency. So SEO, social media, email marketing, PPC, copywriting. um, We provide that full service as well. So we have a real mixture. And it was really fascinating to see the development of Email and amongst all of those channels, as well as it's sitting on its, you know, being able to sit on its own throne now and and be seen for the value that it brings to organizations.
0: And as everybody is listening right now, many people are resonating with your story about all these different departments, you know, or different channels that are being ignored. I want everybody to pay very careful attention to what we talk about through the rest of this presentation because email is just as nuanced as. Facebook, for example, and just as nuanced as social marketing and represents a really incredible opportunity for marketers that pay attention. So, Jenna, for anybody, especially the social marketers that are listening right now that aren't really focused on email, why email? Tell us a little bit about why.
1: Sure. So many reasons why, but I'll narrow them down. (laughs) Um, Email marketing, the ROI that it brings Really is one of the biggest out of all of the digital channels. So, the latest research is showing that for £35, you get £35 back for every pound spent. So, effectively, 38 $37 for every dollar that's spent. You know, that really is a huge return on investment. And you don't see that with other digital channels, not to the the scale that email can give you. I think the other really unique point of email is that email address really is a single person. It connects with that single person throughout their entire journey. So it doesn't just kind of start with them signing up to a newsletter that may also purchase from you. You can then really start to develop those relationships through email, which makes it very unique. And I think it's important to not forget that the majority of social media platforms require an email address to log in. And in the email space, we call it the digital passport. It's almost like the digital ID of that individual person. The unique identifier is their email address. And for a business that just brings so much value and be able to learn from your customers, understand your customers, be able to personalize their experience based on all of that information that you're able to gather about them as well and enhance that customer journey.
0: Yeah, and I want to add a little bit here. An email list is an asset that you have control over. And this is really, really important for my social marketer friends to grapple with this. Your followers on social media you, they're just a number and you don't have distribution to those people unless you pay a lot of money and you can't download those people. You can't transport those people from one platform to the next platform. But with email, you can not only send a message whenever you want, you can also track the kinds of actions people take. And with that knowledge, as Jenna mentioned, you have this kind of central database, if you will, of every single prospect and every single customer. And this allows you to know, for example, what kinds of content are they reading? What kinds of links are they clicking on? What kinds of actions are they taking? And with this knowledge, you can do things that are just simply beyond your wildest imagination. I don't know, Jenna, you want to add anything to what I said there?
1: I think you did a really good job there selling email. No, completely right. is It's not an asset that Google or Facebook have full control over, as much as they would like to. You're completely right. It's a huge asset to an organisation, and keeping a subscriber doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that it's necessarily easy to keep that subscriber there active and engaged. But once you do grow your email list, it becomes, you know, it is a really, really important marketing asset that adds so much value to a business. It really is a key part in a marketer's armory.
0: Yeah, I would actually say it's probably the most important marketing asset, period, bar none it's incredibly powerful. So what we're going to talk about really for the rest of this conversation is like a strategy, right? A smart email marketing strategy. So um, because there's so many little nuances to the world of email marketing, but let's start at a high level. What are the basics of a smart email strategy, Jenna?
1: Yeah. So I think the number one mistake that a lot of businesses make and we typically see is investing in the technology first before defining the strategy so there's some amazing technology out there for email there's a lot of technology out there as well for email but if you haven't defined what your strategy is or what you're trying to achieve by creating your email program or the the type of campaigns that you would like to send for example then you don't know if that technology is really going to be a good fit for your business, but also for what you're trying to achieve. And that can cause lots of different headaches, but also can be a very expensive mistake. And could also mean that that technology is just not a good fit generally. Or you might end up changing what you want to be able to do once you've defined that strategy and you've already chosen the technology. So that's the first kind of starting point is to make sure that you have that strategy there and the first place to do that would be to think about your objectives and this doesn't have to be a really audious process I think people get a little bit put off when they think about strategy and objectives and oh it's going to take a really long time and that's not the case it's just really keeping a focus on what that key goal is and in my new book which you kindly mentioned that at the beginning I talk about objectives that scale so um s-c-a-l
0: Oh, okay. Keep going. I love that.
1: Okay. (laughs) And this is starting with uh, being strategic. So why are the objectives being set in the first place? What is the ambition that you're looking to achieve? Thinking about your overall business strategy is really important because this is where you can align your email marketing and your overall marketing activity, social as well, to the goals of the business. And if you're able to attribute what you've delivered in terms of a a performance metric that aligns to the objectives of the overall business, that makes your entire conversations about budget, resourcing so much easier to have than if you can't align anything towards the business objectives and what it's delivering. So really thinking about that strategic part at the beginning is so important in your objectives. And trying to avoid generalities and not being as specific as possible just creates confusion when it's then presented, almost becomes like Chinese whispers a little bit. So it's really important that rather than have an objective of get more sales, which of course most profitable businesses want to be able to do, it needs to be a little bit more granular than that. You know, sales of which particular product, from where, what particular audience, is there a particular time frame? And thinking about all those details that go in underneath means you become much more strategic with your objectives. And then once you've thought about the strategic parts, that's the first part of scale, then moving on into considered, So thinking there about realistic targets is really important. And we typically have a few occasions where clients come to us with really ambitious targets. And it's great to have ambition, but sometimes you just really need to make sure that you can justify that it's going to be realistic, that it is achievable.
0: So when you say a realistic target, do you mean like the size of the email list, the amount of sales, what kinds of targets typically are included here?
1: Yeah, no, great, great question, actually. Sometimes we get about the email, growing the email list, and that can be a target. And really thinking about how realistic that number is. So if you're looking at growing it by a 1000 people, and you currently have one, and you want to do that in a month, there would be questions there on how realistic that is. How are you going to do that? What's going to change to be able to develop that growth? Really thinking about all of the different angles that come into play there to make sure that it is a considered target rather than, okay, we really just want to grow our list by a million and we don't care how we're going to do it. We just need to do it within the next couple of months. is isn't necessarily as thought through and realistic as everybody would like a million people on their email list.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So this acronym, say what it is again, just summarize really quickly what the elements of this acronym are.
1: Yeah, so it's scale. So strategic, considered, audience, lift, and end.
0: Okay, you want to just give me a quick skinny on those last three? Audience, lift, and end?
1: Sure. So for audience, who are you hoping to engage? Who are they? What do they look like being as specific as possible there? For lift, lift, what's the overall numerical performance target? So what's the KPI that you're going to use to measure success? Thinking about those different milestones in there as well. And then end is what is the end date for achieving the objective and to be as specific as possible here, because this gives you a schedule for your reporting, as well as helping to determine the time scale for reaching each milestone that you might have to set in place to then build your strategy to achieve these objectives.
0: So the smart email strategy involves dealing with these things you just talked about. What about content? I mean, is content play into this as well?
1: Definitely, yeah. So content has a big part to play in email. Content's really important in email because it's the way of engaging your audience, whether that's the main body content, so the content that is within your email itself once it's opened, or also the content in your subject line. So that's what you see in the inbox before you open it. That's called your subject line. And both of those have two... Different ways. They have two different call to actions. They have do, two different ways of convincing somebody to either open the email once they've opened it, to then click the email or drive an action that you're looking to drive. And it's really important to think about the content from an engagement perspective because this is what the ISPs, which is the likes of Gmail, Yahoo, Outlook, for example, will measure and monitor. To determine where where your email sits, whether it sits into the main inbox folder, whether it goes into the spam, how engaged your subscribers are will dictate that placement of your email. And your content has such a huge part to play in that. So it really is important to think about what your audience is wanting to receive from you. And this is where that behavioral data that you were talking about earlier is really important. And that can be mapped from other digital channels, it doesn't just have to come from email. It might be that actually you see on social that there's a particular post or content that's getting the most shares or likes or retweets and that could feed in to your email marketing content strategy and feed into the content or maybe the subject line content that you include in email and vice versa. It might be that there's a piece of content that's really performing really well, driving lots of engagement and clicks in email and that could feed into your social content plan as well.
0: So when you talk about uh, engagement in an email, what does that mean? Because people in social know what engagement means. It's likes and comments. But what does it mean in the in the world of email marketing?
1: Yeah, so engagement in email is classed as opening an email. So every time you open it, it's classed as a an form of engagement. Every time you read the email, so in every email campaign that's sent, every marketing email, there's an invisible GIF that loads at the very, very bottom that you can't see, but it it loads at the bottom. And this is tracking lots of different types of behavior, but it's also looking to see how long you've spent reading the email, how whether you scroll through the email, you can start to see behavioral metrics and, and see where the most hover points are, for example, And that's classes and engagement. And then clicking on any of the content that's within the email, whether it's an image, call to action button, maybe you've got particular links in there, that's all seen as engagement as well. And every time that happens, that somebody opens or clicks your email, it's all clocked and measured together to almost give you like a ranking in the inbox like you do in search in terms of where your positioning is, in that inbox by the likes of Gmail and Outlook.
0: See, this is really fascinating, right? Because even though it's true that you control your email list, you don't necessarily control the distribution of your email. And this is really kind of important. Like, yes, you can send it to everyone on the list, but it is up to the email service providers like Outlook and Microsoft, I mean, Outlook and Gmail to decide whether it shows up in the inbox, whether it shows up in the promo tab, whether it shows up as spam or whether it gets delivered at all, right? And that's the really deep rabbit hole that we're not going to go down necessarily today, but it's a fascinating, complex algorithm that is making judgments on every email that is received in the inbox based on whether or not people have engaged with that email provider before, like you said, right? Whether it's on their list of uh, contacts and whether or not, you know, a million other things, right? So there is a lot of mad science to this, which we're absolutely not going to get into today. But it is true that all things being equal, the very same message sent by a different sender can have a different result, right? Because there's a lot of reputation that comes with that sender and all that madness. So that's just like a little aside. But that's important for people to wrap their brain around, right? Because if you do negative actions, If you create things that are really spammy, then that's going to hurt your reputation and it's going to ultimately hurt your performance downstream. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, completely. And I think that's probably the part that most businesses don't truly understand. It's not that it's technical, which it is, but it's a little bit cloak and dagger still. So, you know, Gmail doesn't give the full picture as to exactly what they're tracking we have an idea as as email marketers of what that is. And there's negative engagement actions as well. Not opening the email, for example, would be one of those. And marking an email as spam would be seen as negative. So you almost get like a negative score. And I think that's the really interesting piece with email marketing, which makes it quite unique to all of the other digital channels, just as, as you've said there, that it goes through almost this filter system before it even gets anywhere. You could spend weeks months years on an email campaign press send and then it's really you're in the hands almost of gmail yahoo and outlook and that's where best practice and and making sure that you are engaging your audience as much as you can with content and sending relevant content to combat that is so important on a regular basis for email
0: Yeah. And that's, I think that's a perfect transition to the next part of our conversation, which is there's things that you can do. Let's start with the welcome journey, right? When we get a new email subscriber on our list, what are some things that we can do to ensure or increase the likelihood that uh, they will receive future emails from us?
1: Yeah. So the welcome journey is an absolutely crucial one for email and one that businesses still typically either don't optimize or don't have and it's a really good quick win to keep your audience engaged so this journey happens when you have a new subscriber signs up say for example on your website they then get sent an an email and this could be a series of emails three four emails that welcome the new subscriber. You thank them for signing up. You, you've you already confirmed their email address. So this is really talking to them, welcoming them like you would if they were walking into a store, for example, or if they phoned um, phoned your, your telephone number and setting some expectations of what they can expect to receive from you, but also talking about you as a business, your USPs, what makes you different and keeping that engagement from the very beginning because that person has taken the time out to enter their email address to sign up to your newsletter or your email program that you're offering. And now's the time to really just thank them for that and start building that relationship with them. It's also a really good opportunity, particularly for the second, maybe third email, to gather some preferences if you're able to store them, to ask them what they're interested in, the type of products that they might want to receive from you. So you can start personalizing the experience with that new subscriber from the very beginning. And typically, a welcome journey is one of the top-performing email journeys that you'll ever send because that subscriber is so engaged in your brand at that moment in time for signing up and subscribing that it really is almost like a captive audience to start building upon that relationship with them.
0: So I love... Setting expectations. So, for example, hey, we're going to be emailing you useful tips every single week. So, watch for it from us, right? Um, what other kinds of expectations would we might what might we want to set in this first message, if you will, in this sequence?
1: Sure. Thinking about the type of content that you might send. If you can't detail the frequency, because sometimes that can be a challenge, where you might not know if you're going to send an email once a week. Try and set some schedule of of maybe it's going to be a couple of emails a month. We're going to send you the latest news, maybe some latest products that have just launched, depending on what your journeys and your email program is going to look like. But just setting some, and it doesn't have to be lengthy or really detailed expectations, but just saying a hello and then saying a little bit about yourself and then just setting that kind of expectation of what they can expect to receive from you Helps to build that confidence with them that, okay, you've accepted my email address. It's gone into the system and I've got this first email and now I kind of know what I'm going to get. So now I feel that like I'm in the know <laughs> and as a new subscriber, it's a, that's a really good starting point.
0: And then the gathering preferences part was fascinating to me. Tell us a little bit more about what that might entail.
1: Sure. So there's a, there's several ways that this can be done and and this can be really quite interactive where it might be image-based, for example, you might have different options. So say you're uh, a retail brand and you offer lots of different products, you might want to ask your customers or gather their preferences on whether they prefer to see particular types of items and maybe they want to see things for the home. Maybe they want to see things for families because they're a family. Maybe they want to see shoes, for example. Or maybe actually they don't have a preference at all and they just want to see everything. And this is where you can start to gather what that subscriber is really interested in, what they're looking for. And of course, this might change over time. But it means that that first email campaign that you send to that subscriber could use this information that you've then gathered and personalize that content within the email from the very off rather than sending a, a blanket email that's the same to everybody and then it falls flat a little bit because it, it's not going to be relevant for everybody and that goes back to that engagement piece that we were talking about earlier and the other way of doing it is to include a form where you ask a couple of questions nothing too lengthy and you gather insights that way. And that information would then be stored in your email platform.
0: The way I've seen a lot of people do it is it's a very simple series of links or buttons, right? Like which of these most do you identify with, for example, or, you know, and that's the way I've seen people say like, all right, I'm a solopreneur or whatever you want to gather, right? Or maybe like, which of these topics are you most interested in? Right. And then the way that works is on the back end, it tags that individual, whatever they clicked, it gets you know, identify to them. And then as a marketer, you can choose to send a message just to people who identified as X or Y, right? And that allows you to, or to omit those people from other sense. And that's where it starts getting fascinating. Is there any more to it that I've forgotten?
1: No, that's perfect. I mean, that's where you can then start to segment your audience and almost build a profile on your email subscriber.
0: Is there any other parts to the welcome journey other than setting the expectations and then gathering preferences? In a separate message?
1: Not so much. I think you can send up to three, I would recommend no more really than four emails, but testing as well is really important in email. And you'd hear a lot of email marketers say this to test, but to run your email, your welcome journey and have, once you've gathered enough So once you've had enough people sign up and go through and experience that welcome journey, start to have a look at the results and then maybe test some different subject lines, test some some different timings of when you're going to send those those campaigns and also potentially the questions that you're asking if you do gather preferences.
0: How long is the welcome journey typically? Are we talking like two days, three days a week? I mean, you know, between the first message and the second message, what's your typical suggestion?
1: Yeah, it really depends on the business and the audience that you're sending it to. The first email should be sent as as soon as you can, as soon as that subscriber's entered your database, have been verified, if you're doing double opt-in, then send that first email straight away. For B2B organizations, typically the second email between five and seven days works best, but that really needs to be tested and analyzed in a business to consumer scenario could be sent a little bit sooner and could be across a week. But again, it really needs to be tested to see what's going to work for your audience.
0: I have a question about double opt-in. What's your stance on it? Do you recommend double opt-in or do you not recommend it? Because there's a lot of variance in opinion out there on this.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I do recommend double opt-in for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it really helps to validate that that email address exists, and this is really important for keeping your for your list hygiene practices, for making sure that your database doesn't have any fake email addresses in there. It will stop that. It's a good preventative for that. And the second one is, I just think it builds a lot more trust in a privacy where we're all very concerned about privacy consumers increasingly so i think having a double opt in is a good way to just double confirm that they that subscriber really does want to sign up and that you're demonstrating that actually you're going to take that seriously and you're just reconfirming that so i'm i'm quite a big advocate of double opt in
0: and for people that don't know what that means it means that there's an email that gets sent confirming they want to get added to whatever it is you know you've added them to They have to click that email and then they get added to the system and get the offer that you send them. I am not a fan of double opt in, but I will tell you a little horror story. You know, I've found that that extra step can deter. There's a lot of people who put their name on an email list and actually don't go to the effort of actually double opting in. But because I didn't have double opt in, spam traps and bots and stuff were filling out my forms which you know Jenna is is definitely the negative side of it right so the way i got around it is i started using uh, google recaptcha which is pretty sophisticated and basically it just confirms that they're a human before they fill out the form so it's kind of like a way of getting around double opt-in and a lot of the more sophisticated email service providers allow you to have that. And you guys know it because you've seen it when you've logged into websites and you've had to click on little pictures. You know, that is what the Google ReCAPTCHA thing is. And using that Google ReCAPTCHA has allowed us to essentially accomplish the same thing as a double opt-in, meaning it's a real human and it's not a bot. It doesn't solve the other problem that Jenna mentioned, which is illegitimate email or someone taking someone else's email and putting it into the system. And those are kind of like the ebbs and flows of you got to make those, whatever decision makes the most amount of sense for you as a marketer. Would you agree with that, Jenna?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you've you've obviously seen a problem and you've solved it. And yeah, there's, there's lots of different solutions available for any type of problem that a business comes against. So I think what you've done there obviously is, is best fit for your organization. There are pros and, and negatives to every scenario, I think.
0: Correct. Now let's talk about list hygiene, because I think this is directly tied to what we've been talking about. Explain to everybody what list hygiene is and, and maybe a best practice on how to use it.
1: Yeah. So once you've grown your email list and you you have an, an email marketing database, it's really important to make sure that it it's kept clean. It's almost like making sure that you clean your, your desk on a, you know, maybe every couple of months, maybe it's your home kitchen, your kitchen side at the moment, and making sure that you, you know, you, that's something that you would just do. It, it just happens. And list hygiene is something that really should be conducted on a regular basis, depending on the growth of your list. So if you're growing it by quite a large amount, um, you know, from thousands each month, then it really is a good area to get into good practice. And the reason why it's so important is because we have seen and lots of experience with them in, in my agency of organizations that haven't conducted any form of list hygiene, haven't checked the data going into the database. They might not have had double opt-in, um, but they may have also had that, You can this can still happen. And the data has been inherited by lots of different marketers that have come and gone in the organization. And it's been sitting there for a couple of years and no one's really investigated or double-checked the quality of that data in there. And what can happen is that over time, if you have email addresses that maybe have been are a couple of years old, they might no longer be valid. They could then become spam traps, which means that you're sending to email addresses that are spam accounts, this can go back to what we were talking about earlier, where it starts to damage your reputation in the inbox and effectively can start to cause deliverability issues where your emails don't enter the inbox, they don't make it at all, and um, they might get blocked altogether by the likes of um, Gmail, Yahoo, and Outlook. And it can cause a real problem very, very quickly if it's not something that can has regular maintenance and looking at the source of where the data's come from as well if you've inherited a list because typically that's what happens you've joined an organization there might be a hundred thousand people on the on the email database for example and a lot has been there for five years or more and if there's never been any form of list hygiene or just a clear out or just having an investigation just double checking what's in there At the quality, then it can pose a real problem for an organization. And there are free tools available to just do a quick list check. Oh, really? Like what? Yeah, there's freelistcheck.com, which is actually really good. You can then start to see it. it will flag immediately if there's any kind of potential risk factors, if you have any invalid email addresses, if you have any that are spam traps. And we were recently working with an organization that had had a list for three years, had done no list hygiene, had been sending campaigns and gradually their results were getting lower and lower and lower. And the reason being was because their reputation was getting more and more damaged the more that they were sending to invalid email addresses. And they ended up having five spam email addresses on their marketing list and more than 50% Um, of high-risk email addresses because they hadn't been looking at the hygiene. So it really is important just to be conducting that on a quarterly basis in an ideal world, but at least once a year.
0: Do you have a simple strategy on how to do this other than using a third-party service?
1: Uh, This service is free, so you can use this. It's a free checker. The other way to look at this would be to assess how long those subscribers have been on your database. And when their last engagement was and an engagement that can be when they last opened an email that they received from you and starting from there. So if you have a high proportion of email subscribers that have been on your list for two years, say, for example, and they haven't opened an email from you recently in the last year or, or more, then those could be potential ones that you really need to investigate further.
0: Perfect. Yeah. What we do at Social Media Examiner is if they haven't opened, if they haven't opened or clicked an email within uh, 90 days, we send them a message that basically is kind of a warning message like, hey, we're going to remove you from the list. If you want to stay on the list, all you've got to do is click on anything inside of this message. And if you do, you'll remain on the list. Otherwise, we'll remove you from the list. And we've just set that sequence in place and we just automatically remove them. Because like you said, the last thing you want to do is have a big email list of people that are not active, right? That's not going to help. Yeah. And you know that those big email providers that you mentioned earlier, they're looking at all that data, right? So if most of the emails that you send to Gmail aren't even being opened, that's not good news for you, right? Whether they're spam traps or not, you just want to clean that list. Plus most of these email service providers you pay based on the size of the list or the amount of sends that you do, right? Right. So this is also going to save you money. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's such a good point and such a great approach that you have there on the 90 days email. Yeah, completely agree. It can save you some money as well.
0: Any big trends going on in the world of email? Because, you know, the world of email hasn't evolved nearly as fast as the world of social marketing. Is there anything on the horizon that's coming up that we should know about?
1: Yeah, so there's a few things. So the first one is AMP in email. And this is where it's similar to how it works on websites. It's effectively bringing a more interactive element to the email in the inbox. So if I give you an example, if you opened an email in your inbox, it could potentially have a form within there that you could just complete in the email itself, or you select a product. You don't then go to the website, you select that product, you add it to your basket or you fill in the form and then you click submit and it's all done within the email itself. And it means that it takes away that extra step of going to the website, trying to find something, fill in the details that you're wanting to add and then completing it. You're doing it all there in situ in the inbox.
0: And this is a Google technology or is it beyond Google? Because AMP for uh, websites, I know it started with Google, but then was eventually adopted by uh, not just Google. But is this mostly driven by Google? The idea that you can do all this shopping right within the email app, if you will, itself?
1: Yeah, well, it started with Google. Yahoo is now supporting it as well. So I think it's probably going to go down the same road that website did as well, where it gets more widely adopted.
0: It's fascinating because you see the social platforms with their shopping they're trying to keep you on platform, right? And they're trying to get that entire transaction to happen within their app. And it sounds like that's where email is going as well, which is kind of intriguing, but scary a little bit too, right? Because that means they're not coming to your website, right? And it's going to get harder for you to to track all that kind of stuff. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Pose is an interesting question for that, doesn't it? Really interesting question there in terms of where websites fit. And we could probably spend a whole hour talking just about that, I think. But yeah, I mean, I find Ampin email really fascinating. I think it gives a lot of convenience, and convenience is typically the the winner in these types of scenarios. It does pose some security risks, and, and its adoption has been very slow because of that. Mm. But I actually think we'll start to see a lot more campaigns adopt this from this year onwards. There's been lots more of interest with the adoption of yahoo now on top of that with the support of that i think we'll start to see this grow and become a little bit more mainstream as it as it's still quite niche at the moment
0: awesome jenna if people want to follow you on the socials or if they want to Check out more about you. Where do you want to send them?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, so Jenna Tiffany. I also, my company website features everything that we do and my book um, that's coming out in May, and that's uk, which is also available on Amazon.
0: So uk. Jenna, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on and uh, answering all my questions about email marketing. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure.
0: Hey, don't forget, I mentioned at the top of the show that if you're looking for professional development and you want to take your marketing skills to the next level, you want to consider the Social Media Marketing Society. You can join by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. And by the way, if there's anything we mentioned and you missed it, we took all the notes. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 454. And if you're new to the show, hit the follow button not the subscribe button. I got to get used to that. And if you've been a long time listener of this show, would you let your friends know about it? I am at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your fast talking host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.